Hi, and welcome to this week's episode of the Your Pet Business Content Your Way podcast. This week on the podcast, I'm chatting to Natasha Courtney-Smith, who is a journalist turned digital marketing expert. And Natasha also has a string of businesses, one of which is Buddy and Lola, a pet supplement brand. So she does have an insight into running a pet business as well. I invited Natasha to come on the show after I read that she was launching a white paper about content monsters and how we can cope when it comes to keeping up with the fast-paced demands of content monster channels such as TikTok, Instagram Reels, YouTube Shorts and Facebook as well and how we can do that as a small business owner. Now Natasha is part of Bolt Digital, she is a co-founder of a huge digital marketing agency and she is a powerhouse with a capital P when it comes to marketing. So I wanted her to come on the show to talk about this topic and actually to apply what she does with her huge brands who have got huge budgets for a small business owner, for a solopreneur, to share with you what you can learn from big brands and gurus like Gary Vaynerchuk when it comes to being visible. Natasha in this episode is sharing about how she grew Buddy and Lola, her pet brand, and also how she keeps up with the demand of the content monsters herself as a personal brand. We talk about her predictions when it comes to social media and marketing for the next three years and what we need to do to keep up and also how to repurpose our content to lighten the load as well. We also talk about why having a pet business is a total gift when it comes to landing press coverage and going viral and how letting go of caring about how you look and what people will think will enable you to keep up with the big brands and help you feel less overwhelmed when it comes to getting your awesome work seen. It is such a fascinating episode. I have loved every moment of this chat with Natasha and I hope you do too. So now on for the main part of the episode. So hi, Natasha. Thank you so much for coming and joining me on the podcast. I'm so excited to have you here. Can you tell us a bit about you? Hi, Rachel. First of all, let me say thank you for having me on. I mean, you and I have obviously known each other for quite a long time. So it's great. And I think we've both watched our careers progress over the years through different stages. So it's absolutely brilliant to have the opportunity to come on and talk to you on this podcast. Um, So in terms of me and who I am, my name's Tash. I run a number of different businesses at this stage. I've had a varied career, but it's it's mainly always been around media, marketing and comms, really. Um, And at the moment, my business, the businesses I run are D2C Live, which is a very well-known e-commerce conference and event series here in the UK. The Notting Hill Company and the Notting Hill Shopping Bag, which are relate to a business I had many, many years ago and have become recently involved in again. And those are two shops on Portobello Road. And then our not-for-profit initiative called BizKids, which is uh, an online TikTok-first brand that teaches kids entrepreneurship. It's actually been part of my sort of goal to really understand TikTok as well and get to get to master TikTok and we have learned so much from doing biz kids, both in terms of the impact you can have and the mastery of, of that platform. Uh, when I say mastery, I say I'm way behind the true masters <laughs> on that platform. But nonetheless, I've learned a lot about that platform. Wow. Okay. So yeah, I'm loving the yeah the you know people of our our time of life trying to catch up on TikTok, and I've literally just joined it from a holiday cottage business. But so I'm very very behind. But yeah, hats off to you for being totally down with the kids and jumping into that. And um, I know you've got a pet brand as well, haven't you? Tell us a little bit about Buddy. Yeah, so we also have a number of investee businesses, which are um, brands that we've invested into. So one of those is Buddy and Lola, which is a, a very popular dog supplement brand, really known for its hero product, which stops dog diarrhea. But actually, the range has expanded a lot into natural supplements for dogs. That's one of our investee companies. And I'm 
uh, very involved with Buddy and Lola in terms of helping its growth. The other investee companies that I have and have invested into and work with include uh, the e-commerce brand Space Goods and the analytics platform uh, TripleWell and the mental health tech Jack. So there's quite a few investee businesses that I'm involved in. But yeah, we're going to be talking about Buddy and Lola today and and the dog supplement business. Brilliant. Okay, so tell us a little bit about Body and Lola, what it's all about. And yeah, can you give a bit of behind the scenes, really? Because as you know, my audience are pet business owners. They're mostly small businesses. We have products, we have service providers, and they're usually one person or small teams trying to figure all this stuff out for themselves. So can you give us a bit of behind the scenes about what you've learned with Body and Lola and how you went about it? Yeah, sure. So Buddy and Lola started as an Amazon first brand. So it was around 2015, 2016, there was a lot of opportunity on Amazon to create brands. And I was part of an organization that trained people in how to create um, and, you know, build Amazon brands. And Buddy and Lola was one of our very first brands that was founded by uh, Steve, who is one of who was one of the um, shareholders and is still a shareholder in Buddy and Lola, and his co-founders, Harriet, who's still running the brand today. So it started on Amazon, did very well on Amazon. You know, the products are extremely good quality, all made here in the UK. The products are great quality. It quickly got a lot of great reviews. And from Amazon, we bought it into a Shopify brand probably around about 2019. So quite a long time after the brand had been trading as an Amazon-only first brand. So it still has a small team, like most of your listeners. I think particularly in e-commerce, small teams are quite important. You know, lots of e-commerce brands are encountering difficult trading conditions and lots of them have been, had a lot of investment and had large teams. And the sort of market conditions have come to a point where people think, actually, probably these businesses are better run from a very efficient point of view, unless they've already reached certain scales. Now, the ones we know about in pet supplements that have reached certain scales are... The name's just gone from me, but I know it's run by the guy Christopher Masanto, and it's 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 a huge dog supplement brand. He's an incredible performance marketer. So yeah. so that sort of organization can have a big team, but a lot of them need to be small and lean teams just because of the way the margins operate in that space. So Buddy Nola has a hundred hundred thousand happy customers. We have about 10 products in our range with more products in development. Um you know, all the customers give great reviews. Like all all pet brands will experience, your customers love their pets. And when they feed yeah. back to you about how your product has helped their pet, that is an incredible thing. And you can really see, I'm sure many of your listeners have the same thing where they have a lot of very positive customers and lots of great stories of all the, in our instance, it's dogs, you know, whose life's, lives have been prolonged, whose health has been enhanced, whose joints have been improved through the supplement range. And I mean, that's Buddy and Nola, really, in terms of how it's run. Yeah. You know, it's run, I guess, from a largely remote team, but a team that is a very close team and has been working together for a long time. So although we don't sit in an office together, there is a small office in Norwich. Most of us don't sit in an office together. We've all been in that brand for many, many years. Yeah. You touched on it a little bit there when you were chatting, but one of the things I always try to stress, I mean, our background, we've both come from journalism backgrounds, haven't we? And we've worked with like loads of different organisations and people telling their stories, but I will, I'd love to hear it from your point of view. When it comes to having a pet brand, I see it as a total gift because we just, you know, we love our pets so much, don't we? What's the message from, from you, I guess, for pet business owners when it comes to putting their brands out there 
and the gift that they have because it's just I mean you're right Rachel they do have a gift so so both Rachel and I as Rachel said has come from a journalism background Rachel did you do story brokering or not I can't remember if you did story brokering I freelanced for a while so that's kind of yeah so, so sort of so as a freelance journalist and and what I did I had an agency that did story brokering essentially you have to pitch up stories that you found sort of packaged together I mean somebody once said to me oh you know so you're packaging stories and I thought well, I mean, I, I hadn't described it like that because back then, Rachel, as you'll know, we were both journalists and I didn't have the vocabulary around business that I have today, right? So I yeah. was just thinking, what do they mean, packaging stories? But essentially, that's right. You know, we would get contacted as an agency by people wanting to share a story with the media. People would often present their story in quite an incoherent way. You know, they'd be, they might be under a lot of stress. They might be, you know, really pushing one point and Rachel and I as journalists would be thinking, okay, this, this is interesting. I, I'm hearing this person. But in order to get it into a mass media publication, we need to be able to package it, the word I learned, yeah. and pitch it in so that journalists and readers can see that actually this is a good story and here's why. So essentially, you're taking anything and trying to use your knowledge of the media and audiences to ascertain what the proper, what, what a great angle would be for it. And Rachel did that in her freelancing career. And I did that at scale because I was running a story brokering agency. Now, there's certain things that are more promotable than others. And that's just a matter of a fact of life. And, you know, Rachel and I could sit here and for hours and argue whether about that's right or wrong. Essentially, publications know what their readers want. And it's the readers voting with their feet, i.e. this is what we want to read about, that leads to people like Rachel and I with deep experience in media knowing that some stories are more promotable than others because it's what the readers want. And pets are very promotable. There's certain things that are promotable, which are stories with very strong sets of photographs, you know, interesting and intriguing stories, travel where you've got beautiful photography and it's sort of talking about something that people wouldn't otherwise get to see and pets because everybody can resonate with it so as soon as you've got a pet brand the question is great you're in a area that is promotable and people want to hear about now how are you going to find your stories within your brand in order to say meet the benchmarks that media would acquire from a publicity point of view if you want to say get your brand into and most people do into the daily mail into one of the national newspapers, into the Mail Online, onto This Morning. I mean, that's what most people dream about happening for their brand, I think. Yeah, definitely. Um, and it's just, yeah, having a pet brand, is, you are so far ahead, aren't you? I Like I've worked with small businesses outside of the pet space where, you know, you might have worked with an accountant or a chemical company and it's like, Okay, the stories are a little bit thin on the ground here. However, you know, you're working the with the brand. The stories are so like thin yours. on the ground in a lot yeah, of businesses. So hard. Well, we've just done an amazing story collect- collecting process from our audience. We haven't really gone large on publicity, actually. At this stage, we've been really focused on product development, e-commerce, Amazon, and now we're going large on publicity. So we've we've done a load of um, you know messaging to our database, and the database is so receptive because they love talking about their pets as well, and they know the products are good, and they know the products have helped them, and they've sent back their stories, and we've been getting them on calls, and there's all sorts of stories which Rachel would know are imminently placeable, i.e., a guy whose dog has helped him find love, having been single for years. Uh, yeah, Rachel's just like, oh my God, there's somebody who's, um, oh, this is awful, actually. Dog was like viciously attacked and literally, I mean, I, I'm, I'm shocked. You know, it's the same as when you're in story brokering. The things you hear, you don't expect to hear. And so you suddenly get someone coming back and saying, well, actually, my dog's got an amazing story. It was attacked and I've had to nurse it back to health. And, the, and they've included the photography. And this is like, the uh-huh. dog was 
properly attacked, right? Bludgeoned almost. And you're like, how can this sort of thing go on? But part of their story is nursing this dog back to health because of Buddy and Noda. There's a dog that is like a um has, you know, was was has got a form of cancer and was told, you know, this dog, essentially like with a human, when a human's given six weeks to live and then, you know, three years later is still thriving. Essentially that's the situation for this dog. And these pets really, really matter to their families, which is why the owners are so compelled and it really matters to them and they want their dog's stories to be heard. So I would suggest oh all of your listeners will have similar stories, you know. Yeah. What we have is a collection of dog owners who feel positively about our brand and it transpires just within that collection. There's a lot of stories in there which we never would have considered would would have been in there if we hadn't asked. That's just so wonderful to hear and and it's great to um great that you've touched on you know, I know you work in lots of different ways, but talking about the publicity as well and and actually, you know, journalists do want to hear these stories, don't they? They, you know, they f- help people feel good and you know, every publication you pick up, there will always be a story about an animal in there. And, and yeah, I guess the message is... I mean, I, I always thought, Rachel, my, my view on journalists when I was running Talk to the Press and doing story brokering was that journalists have to find good stories. They just have to. That's kind of their KPI. And also, and good stories are hard to find. And they also want an easy life. Like they just want, because they're under such pressure to find good stories, they just want to know they've got good stories. If you can package up your content in a way that makes it easy for the journalist to see, yes, this is a good story. Yes, the person is able to talk. Oh yes, there is some good photos. You're suddenly really helping out a journalist and giving your story a chance of going from a very small, tiny piece of information to a full page because you're able to provide a load of fantastic photos essentially for free to that media outlet. So you're helping them, you're helping the journalist, you're helping yourself. So always think there's nothing scary about journalists. They just want you to make their life easy. That's it. So good to hear you say that because I've been banging on about this for a good, a good four years now. And I'm not remotely scary, um, but to hear you say exactly the same thing is brilliant. Um, so we've talked a little bit about, we've talked about Buddy and Lola, we've talked about journalism and, and these brands have got brilliant stories. Um, I know I get your newsletter, I, t- I talk about your newsletter in my newsletter and tell people to go and have a look at it because you share really, really good stuff. But what really jumped out at me when I was reading it a couple of weeks ago was about the content monsters and how we all have to keep up with them and feed them and everything. And I would just love for you to tell me a little bit more about what these content monsters are and what kind of challenges they create. Yeah, I mean, great question, Rachel. So essentially, when I'm talking about content monsters in my newsletters, I'm talking about all the social channels that were content monsters before, but have now changed their algorithms to prioritize the vertical video content that is really made popular by TikTok and is spread across Instagram Reels, Facebook Reels, and YouTube Shorts. So all the businesses that I've created since leaving the Daily Mail have essentially leveraged what I now describe as an algorithm opportunity. I wouldn't have been able to use those words at the time of setting up my first business, which was Talk to the Press, the story brokering agency. But really, Talk to the Press was built on the back of SEO, email marketing, and personal branding. Um, And that was the algorithm opportunity of sort of 2007 to 2000, well, you know, 2016 or something. It's quite a long algorithm opportunity, really. Then it changed and Facebook advertising arrived on the scene around about uh, scale around about 2015, 2016. And the margins in unit economics were such that it was like, wow, this is cheap advertising that is great in direct response landscapes and is driving amazing results. So a new algorithm opened up, which was essentially 
the rise of Facebook and an arbitrage between the cost of advertising there and the likely results as compared to other forms of advertising. A huge number of brands that we know and and love today were built off the back of Facebook advertising. And one of the things I always say to brands, because the main work we do now is with brands, is you know, don't compare yourself to a brand that was built 2017, 2018, 2019, leveraged an algorithm opportunity, which simply isn't here today. It's like me saying, oh, you know, when I was in um, the Maldives, which by the way, I've never been to, when I was in the Maldives, (laughs) I got to wear a bikini every day. And, you know, Susie, who's still in the Maldives is wearing a bikini every day. And I'm here in my sweatshirt. It's like, yeah, well, Susie's in the Maldives and you're not. (laughs) So if you compare yourself to a brand and be like, well, you know, we and in pets, for instance, so tails.com are speaking at our next conference. I'm sure all your listeners will know tails.com, a huge yes. success story out of Britain as well. They're speaking on stage in two weeks' time. You can't compare yourself to tails.com. They were built off this algorithm opportunity at the moment. And they've even had to pivot what they're doing now because the algorithms have changed. Now, obviously, Facebook still remains an algorithm. Still, it's still vibe. It's, you absolutely, it's part of your omni-channel marketing. The algorithm opportunity at the moment is this now organic vertical style contact, I, content. I always think someone somewhere is sitting with a dial at Facebook HQ. And Zuckerberg said to him, yeah. oh, Pete, turn up the dial on organic reach on Reels. <laughs> And turn down the old organic reach off the feeds. And he's just gone this. And suddenly it's like there is an algorithm opportunity. The dial's up on organic reach. It will stay up for maybe three years. But in order to leverage it, just like to leverage Facebook ads, you have to put money and pay advertising money and create creatives. In order to leverage this one, you have to create vertical style videos, which brings an immediate production channel to most production challenge to most brand teams as they're currently set up. The quantity of videos that these channels can take is extraordinary. And just to give you an example, Rachel, we've just, you know, you know, you know, I've been putting a tremendous amount of effort into TikTok across three assets, biz kids, my not-for-profit, um, Bolt, well, actually not so much effort's gone into Tash and Bolt Digital and DC Live, and then the Notting Hill Company. One of them is now going viral. If I listed out what we've done to get to that stage, I think people would be um, think, okay, that is a commitment. That's not easily mm-hmm. achieved. And essentially, in order to feed this content monster, you've got to have a production. The two things go hand in hand. There's an algorithm opportunity. You want to take it. When it was Facebook, you had to put money into advertising. Now it's these. You have to run a great production, a video production. You have to find a way to get videos done at an appropriate cost to fill up, to drop your assets into this bubbling cauldron and hope they rise to the top. It's how I see it. And now, you know, we've been living that experience and it's working. So I know, I know that's the case. And I've been through enough algorithm opportunities before, successfully building businesses off the back of each of them mm-hmm. to know the likely uh, path for this one as well yeah it's really fascinating i love that analogy about the bubbling cauldron well that's the way that's that is it's like yeah if you don't put your leg of lamb into the cauldron it's not even going to have the opportunity <laughs> to rise to the top is it no exactly so you've um, got to get your leg of lamb in there definitely i remember you talking about rising above the froth years ago and i think it was in relation to seo back then but yeah 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 i know about the same old stuff (laughs) (laughs) but no it's it's a great analogy i've actually got a friend and um 
lady called Kerry from Frankie's Boutique, she makes these amazing sweary bow ties. So there'll be a bow tie with a little badge on for the dog and it'll have like loads of effing and jeffing and the sea bomb and everything on there. But people love them. And she goes viral all the time on TikTok. She did one about the XL bullies, you know, the big dogs. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, that will go viral. Yeah, she did. um, It was basically um, defending the XL bullies and having badges that people can use on them because of the legislation. And that went viral. And she had like 500. I mean, she's a small, very small business with an outlet, but 500 sales in like one day, which is mega for a small business. Oh, mega. And I think there's something about virality as well. So the other thing that's really important for your listeners to know, and it relates to what we were talking about before, is pets will have a natural propensity to go viral anyway. So again, you're winning just by being in this category. If I try and go viral as me, a person talking about e-commerce, that's quite hard because let's face it, e-commerce is like, pretty technical it's not that exciting it's only going to appeal to e-commerce teams and it's a hard listen you know if I talk you through oh here's how to set up a winning campaign no one's really gonna like enjoy that you're talking about dogs they land with everybody they resonate with everybody so it's a fantastic category for you know getting more chances in publicity and in Mm -hmm. viral content yeah and I've also found um I have Google alerts for dog training, various different things. And I'm finding a lot of the alerts that are coming through are actually where journalists are getting content from TikTok or Instagram Reels and then, you know, using that content for for online journalism, a lot of the stuff in oh, the they definitely, mail online. They definitely are. I mean, these TikTok. channels have also become a source for journalists, 100%. Yeah, definitely. Um, one of the things I wanted to ask you about, because in your newsletter, I know you're doing, you've got a white paper that you're working on at the moment around the content monsters and the demand that we have. And you, you, you know, you work with teams and big businesses who are struggling to feed the content monsters. Like my audience are, are you know, either one person bands or very small teams um, who are also struggling to feed the content monsters. So what would your advice be to them when it comes to doing what you, I guess, yeah, navigating this, this whole world that we're oh. in now? My white paper, the reason we looked into this was because of the fact that I was seeing across teams from my own team to the brands we work with a real issue in terms of, okay, the con- people seem to accept, they know the content monster's here. It's like, how are we going to feed it? And then the cost of that and the cost being prohibitive. And so I started looking to, looking into what is actually going on here. Like, you know, are these costs prohibitive? Because there's something in e-commerce called the unit economics, which is about the underlying financials of a brand and is it going to be successful or not is in part dependent on its unit economics. You can have the best brand and team in the world, but if the unit economics aren't there, your brand will fail. And we can see that on spreadsheets. We've been working in e-commerce so well, we can put brands in and we know straight away whether they're going to succeed or fail. Um, And if you do come up as failing, by the way, there's normally remedial action you can take. So it's important to have this information. And likewise, some of the brands that we look and admire are really getting away with not excellent work because of the fact their unit economics are so strong, which means the, the money's just moving in their favor. So I started looking at the unit economics of creative teams against a rise in demand and really discovered that apart from for the most profitable businesses, which is some businesses, obviously, and those businesses who naturally have someone in-house who is either an amazing sort of content creator or the founders can just pick up the camera and just do that. And then they can almost get them that get that content production for free because they can just do it. The unit economics are such that with the salary rises we have in the UK, which we have to have because of the cost of living crisis, the falls in output, which are proven following COVID in the UK and the US as a real time fall in output from 
people. And I know that's not a very popular thing to say, but I'm glad I found out it was a fact because obviously yeah. I've been running big teams, so I knew it to be true. But I think there's one thing having a subjective view of your own team and another when you're looking at global research that's actually showing, okay, output's falling. Mm-hmm. Um, it just means the cost of content becomes prohibitive against the volume that is now required. So there's a misalignment there. And that's what the white paper is about, because I think all of us tend to look around and think, oh, person B is the problem, right? If person B could just edit more videos and like, you know, whatever, I've been guilty of that, then it would all be solved. That's not the problem. The problem is the number of videos that you need to feed the content monsters against the rising salaries in the UK against the output mean that you're facing an impossible cost in your business. Mm-hmm. And that's really what that white paper is about. How we've yeah. solved it is by moving the content production offshore. If you can drop, if you can radically change the unit economics in a business, you can radically change the outcomes of that business. So it's the same in an e-commerce brand. Suppose you've got a brand and you can look at it and you say, okay, it's not going to work. It's, it's, it's never going to work. We can tell now. It doesn't matter what you do. You can do whatever you want to do. You can be the best in the world, but we're telling you the brand's going to fail. You've got to change the unit economics. They do that. I'm going to give you a very real example of this, which I will in a minute, and everything changes for that brand. The same thing for the creative team. If you can take a department cost, creative, and crush it, and I'm, you know, by 80% of its current cost and increase its output by 3x, you are facing a very different scenario in your ability to feed the content monster. And I wanted to give myself an ability to feed the content monster, which is why we started going down this route of solving the unit economics of creative production for ourselves first. And subsequently, we are now renting it out to several large brands who equally have the same challenge. Mm-hmm. So how does that work for somebody who's working on their own then? They literally haven't got anyone to help them. And they've it's probably got not right budget. they'd have to set up their own offshore production. It's not yeah. going to be, you know, the edit squad, which is what we run for ourselves and what we rent out to big brands. Yeah requires brands to have and this would be the state of the play of most brands that we work with who are not solopreneur brands they'd have to have a lot of assets so most brands we work with will have huge amounts of assets they're doing god knows how many shoots and video shoots and this and that yeah and then they have social media people the issue they've got is that so they've got people who can post who can guide the issue they've got is the actual the arms and legs the actual production itself yeah and it's that production and output that they're renting off us so for a solopreneur business you know who's probably already feeling overwhelmed I think the first thing to do is recognize that the price of content is high probably higher than what it can be against the number of assets you require you've got to look at it differently you need to shift the unit economics if I was I mean you know I think it says it all that in my businesses now I haven't done paid advertising I've shifted the unit economics I've gone organic first and I found a way to get a lot of content produced at a very good cost. And this is quality content being produced by people whose lives I know I'm supporting and changing as well. So it's a win-win all around, basically. How do you do things on a day-to-day for you as your personal brand? So I see your videos on Instagram Reels and then you've talked about TikTok and they'll go out on other platforms as well. Like, How do you manage it yourself? As in you, Tash, going and talking about your things. What does an average week or day look like for you? Well, I think I'm much better at managing the app. It's great that you've seen my content range. We do do quite a lot, but I think I'm much better at managing the output of the brands that aren't me, i.e. BizKids Mm -hmm. and the Notting Hill Company, because 
there, they don't carry the same emotion. So anybody's personal brand, I think, does carry a level of emotion, although we all do our best to overcome it where you're like be sitting there thinking, I'm not feeling this vibe today. You know, all <laughs> sorts of subject things. Oh God, you know, I look a bit rough in that video. Um, and there's always a reason not to post. I might be thinking, oh, you know, all my old friends will think that I've really got above myself. For instance, will be a classic thing I'll be thinking as I'm about to hit post and then don't. So, I mean, I do have a team. So first of all, to say that I don't would, would not be true. Yeah. We try and record stuff as we go. It's very evident that the stuff that does best tends to be the casual stuff, green streets, green screen, more me picking up and filming. So we try and have a production of things that we've recorded as we go that go out. There was a brilliant thing that I listened to on TikTok, which was actually, this is going to sound so random. It was the theme tune to Thomas the Tank Engine. And it had, it was kind of illustrated in visual lights. And it had this underlying bass drum. So you had all these lights going off, quite a random TikTok video. And I was watching it and I was thinking, that's the production. The underlying bass drum has to go out all the time. And that will be the content that you'll see, which will be the sort of content where I'll be thinking, it'll be content of me being filmed out and about or me doing yeah. talks, this podcast. It'll be sort of content that I know won't do particularly well in terms of going viral, that I might doubt myself and think, oh, I didn't like my outfit on that day or whatever. Um, and, and, that I, and that I might resist posting. But nonetheless, it's content that people watch and they always say, oh, I watched this video on that. So you know it's having an impact, even if it gets whatever views it gets. So that is what we try and get out every single day because that's our underlying bass drum. And yeah. I just think that bass drum can't stop beating. It's like a heartbeat. It has to go out, has to go out, has to go out. We don't always achieve that. We do achieve it most of the time. And then on top of that, we then overlay something's happened. You know, topical stuff, Rachel, it's exactly like in the media. Look for topical stuff. Try and do, because what goes viral is pets, topical things, controversial opinions or strong opinions, very visual things. So we try and do that on top of the underlying bass drum, but that underlying bass drum needs to be beating, just like <laughs> in that Thomas the Tank Engine TikTok, which is a very weird one, but it did to me visually and musically outline the algorithms mm -hmm. and how they're working yeah and that's the other thing as well it's about obviously having to keep up and and looking at what you, we have to adapt ourselves don't we and making these things work for you and finding a way for you to do you know for you to play your part in giving that content monster what it wants for you it might be like I saw a video I can't remember what it was about now but I saw a video and you literally had the camera in front of you and said I've just woke up I've had this idea I know we look like rubbish but blah 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 and it was brilliant and it's like but I could I could see so how Rachel, it's like I, mean, I never would have put anything out like that before because I didn't have any makeup on yeah. um you know I think I we all look different right when we're in bed or in the one I don't have any makeup on but in order for efficiency, I've had to get over myself because it's much quicker. And like I said to you, when we opened, when we, when we first joined this call, I had to get over the hurdle of having to be done up on every call or having to do my hair because it, it just was a block. I've had yeah. to accept that I, just as if you're someone close in my family or in, in my kids or a partner or whatever, you see me really done up and you see me with that makeup and everything I've had to accept that that's going to have to be the way if I want to win at these algorithms but honestly Rachel I'm, thank you so much for the positive feedback on that but I literally sometimes feel quite like paranoid going what's everybody <laughs> thinking of me everyone's going to be snagging me off saying I've gone on TikTok with no makeup on have I gone completely mad you know like that is not easy to do and because I've been through it now since we started really focusing on these assets probably in 
early March. And it's taken quite a long time to get to that point, to be honest. And that's what I'm saying. Like I can now genuinely talk about what it takes to go viral. I do think a pet brand has a great chance of going viral anyway because of the yeah. content. Definitely. And you're saying that as a very experienced content creator, journalist and everything else. Like, so, you know. Oh, yeah. But Rachel, I think when we're in journalism, you know, we're very used to speaking in the voice of somebody else. Yeah. Um, And I almost think that's to our detriment. We're so used to that people like me and you are so used to adopting the voice of the Daily Mail or Grazia or whatever. It's actually very hard to find our own voice. I mean, you must have found that when you started doing the podcast. Definitely. I was terrified. And I also had the same thing with social media and and every other thing that you have to do when it's you. You're not telling somebody else's story. It's actually you. And I still, yeah. That's really hard. Yeah, it's hard, isn't it? But that's yeah. that's the position that that you know our our brand, our clients, and our brands and our our people are in, isn't it? We are vulnerable, and um, and yeah, and doing putting ourselves out there, it's tough. I've, I renamed this podcast actually to Your Pet Business Content Your Way, and it's all about finding your way to do things, and um, and yeah, and kind of just embracing your own style and just doing things the way that you want to do it so I mean the other thing I've done Rachel I've stopped listening to a lot of people as well because yeah I think when you're doing content you know you get a lot of feedback oh you should do this you should do that or blah 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 and this and that and you know well shouldn't you niche and shouldn't you do that and it's just overwhelming and I just thought right I've got to narrow inputs because actually all of this whilst I'm sure everyone has a point I'm not saying it's not good advice but all it's doing is increasing my anxiety and paranoia around doing content. So I decided then only to listen to Gary Vaynerchuk and D-Rock. Gary Vaynerchuk, obviously being the American, his yeah. uh, agency owner, entrepreneur, his, and D-Rock, his personal brand videographer. D-Rock's a friend of mine. We're hosting an event with him next week, actually. So I was like, really? He's in London. He's staying in my house. I've got to get a bend Amazing. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I was like, really? I need to. I believe in their thesis, okay? Their thesis is... Be you in your entirety. If you look at what Vaynerchuk does, I know he's famous, so famous, but he does, you know, he does all these different things, runs an agency, trash talk, all these different things. Their thesis, their answer to everything is like, just get on with it, publish more, more, more. Gary Vaynerchuk, no matter how busy he is, he voice notes from the loo, his captions, like that man's diary is (laughs) wild. And we have had a real glimpse into his world and his production from D-Rock. So all, so by only listening to those two, and trying to block out everybody else, that has also helped. And also by getting context of what, how Gary Vaynerchuk operates and what he's dealing with has helped me when I have my moments, of, which I have. Oh, I don't have enough time for my content. You know, I'm so stressed. You know, I've got so much going on. How am I meant to do my content too? So it gives perspective. But yeah, I would recommend that your readers, uh, your listeners, um, try and dial back on when it comes to their personal brand, who they're taking advice from and instead just listen to Gary Vaynerchuk and do what he says. Yeah, I think um, I think that's great advice because it's just the noise, it's just too much. And yeah, do things your way, find one. Yeah, like you say, I mean, it's as simple as just just do it, get on with it and be you. That's just Yeah, and I have perfect. discovered that some of the cliches people say about content are true. So authentic stuff works. You know, you, you can easily think, oh God, that's just a cliche. And then I'm thinking, no, it kind of is true because look, you know, you saw my video with when I woke up, whatever it was that I'd recorded and they make, like it does. Finding your voice, being you works. It does because it, what it does is it removes the blocks you have. When I was thinking, the only thing I can talk about is e-commerce because of the fact that I'm running an e-commerce agency. That in itself was a huge block because although I loved my business, I didn't necessarily want to just talk about e-commerce the whole time. And it's also the type of content that requires quite a lot of prep. You've got to get it right. 
these are campaigns, there's a lot of money moving through the campaigns we manage. And actually, by that, that advice on like, only talk about one thing, actually blocked me from content. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's, well, you've totally embraced the whole, yeah, just being you. And I love the behind the scenes and the, you know, you kind of, you've got your team, you're at at an event or you're at a shoot and you're in the car and like, yeah, people just love that, that just real raw stuff, don't they? Yeah. I mean, I think all this said, Rachel, I've still got a very long way to go on my content, just to say. I do not think this is a complete job at all. We need to reconvene in a year and see what's I know, happening. I know, see what's happening in the cauldron there. Now, I love the fact that you're here talking to me today because you, like, with that, I don't want to sound too fawning here, but the fact is, right, I've followed you for years and then year, going back in 2016, I read your book, The Million Dollar Blog, and it made me start a pet blog. And then that became award-winning. Then all these pet brands got in touch with me and then I ended up doing my coaching business. So thank you because you set that ball rolling. But, oh, my gosh, but, Rachel, I didn't know that. Yeah, <laughs> you made this happen. Well, so that led to this podcast as well. It led to all of it, yeah. The pet blog led to, I wrote a book, I wrote a book and chucked it on Amazon um, about how to get publicity for your pet business. And then it led to my coaching business and my online courses and this podcast. So yeah, it was all, it all started with the million dollar blog. I oh, thought, well, it was a good book, the million dollar blog. It was a very good book. Yeah, it was a good book. Loved it. Um, and that all started because I was getting loads of pet stories, but you know, they go in the paper and they'd only be 300 words, but I wanted to, you know, go deeper and share more and have my own platform. But I wanted to ask you as well about long form content. You obviously wrote the million dollar blog. We're talking on podcasts that we've obviously got um, video. Um, like where, do, where does that fit in, in marketing in 2023? And I guess, how do you kind of fit that into all of the other stuff that you're doing on social Um yeah. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, so the million dollar blog was written in about 2015. It might've been the end of 2014. And it was a book about both building a personal brand and monetizing a personal brand. There was then a second book about that called Stand Out Online and content marketing for businesses. Essentially, if we remember, I'd written that algorithm wave that included SEO and blogging was a inherent part of how my, you know, tiny little website was consistently able to outrank the sun, the mirror and other people who came into that market and started using Google searches to source stories. So Talk to the Press always won in those searches, and I believe still does, which it will do because it's sheer length of time on the internet now. That's a very strong asset. Um, and and But long-form content was part of how we did that, and that was the algorithm opportunity at the time. So I think with both books, The Million Dollar Blog and Stand Out Online, they're both logically, and there's a lot of great advice in both of them, but they are slightly out of date. So if I was writing The Million Dollar dollar blog today, it would not be about blogging as that underlying asset. It would be about the vertical short form going viral personal brand creator world. Because that is now the kind of area from which top of funnel or upper funnel visibility can be achieved. I think SEO is is fundamentally under threat. I think we'll one day wake up and the whole of Google could have changed. I mean, I don't use Google anymore. I just ask the AI. I literally just voice note the AI. And I'm I do think I'm normally slightly ahead of everyone else but like I can't understand why anyone would use Google now it just gives a it just confuses things it's like you Google something so long-form content from the point of view of we have to see how Google unfolds but I am saying to everybody who relies on SEO please review this because if you wake up one morning and Google's AI is taken over people are not going to be looking at these organic search results so that's my alarm bell said however back to the answer of long-form content it still has its place and I still think blogs on websites are, are really good. And, if, and in fact, I should and don't, but I have to get my, our newsletters done as blogs each week because they're still great. People still like to read more. 
LinkedIn newsletters are particularly brilliant. You know, in terms of algorithms that are being prioritized, LinkedIn is prioritizing its newsletter. You can get, you, you know, you build subscribers on there who you can stay in touch with even as they move companies because they're not going to change their LinkedIn login. They might change their email address. LinkedIn emails all your subscribers when you publish a newsletter that probably won't carry on if newsletters got very crowded but for the time being that is almost what we would have done as SEO in Talk to the Press in 2013, 14, 15 that led to the book The Million Dollar Blog we now do on TikTok and LinkedIn Mm -hmm. as long-form content and in white papers so I would never take out long-form content completely but I do think people if they're spending a lot of time on blogs and not getting that much traffic should question whether or not that blog time is repurposed into vertical video time because getting people off apps is harder and harder because we are more at home on apps than ever before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's scary, isn't it? I've, uh, yeah, I was reading something the other day about um, Elon Musk and basically him trying to keep everyone on. I keep calling it Twitter, but it's now X, isn't it? And um, yeah, it is insane the amount of time that we spend on these apps isn't it yes Um, it is I wanted to um yeah so with and then sorry just go back to the so if you so just to kind of make that just for some practical advice really if you let's say if you are a dog trainer and you've created a blog about how to make your dog come back when you call them you could actually repurpose that into video to go on tiktok or oh, 100%. instagram or, and i still yeah. you know one of the one of the points in the million dollar blog was about content repurposing getting the most value mm-hmm. from every asset you have and i try and do that and you can we get quite a lot of value from us nowhere near actually we could still repurpose more but we're getting quite good at like doing one version of a tiktok it does goes viral and then we do like four more by just cutting it and changing the order of those segments the same thing would go with reading out a blog as a podcast or or reading it out as not read like you know doing it as a video absolutely get the most value you can from what you're producing definitely it's like when you were saying about chopping up tiktoks that's what like buzzfeed used to do with the different headlines wasn't it back in the kind of mid like 2015 whenever it was oh totally they, they did yeah. they were, and that was the you know they were running it off pages facebook pages i'm sure they'd be yeah. doing the same thing on reels now yeah absolutely um you've touched on it already but the white paper what kind what can we expect uh from the content monster white paper which is what i'm calling it i hope you don't mind let me tell you what it is actually called it's called <laughs> the conundrum of creative production why your brand struggles with creative production in the tiktok era and three solutions that work it's aimed at founders c-suite executives middle management business owners and team leaders providing a robust analysis of the multifaceted challenges <laughs> and opportunities that contemporary brands and business encounter in creative production I think what people will get from it is an understanding of what's actually going on, and then they can make decisions based on facts. I think very often we think what's going on relates to individuals around us. This is a much bigger challenge than anyone you employ and than yourself. You know, this is a broader challenge of a force coming in of a huge, huge social media giant, which is TikTok. The others have immediately followed sweet. So this is probably some of the most powerful forces in our world. The four social platforms have changed their algorithms. And, and you you know, you can decide to opt out, but I wouldn't. Like, I wouldn't. If you're not, if you're trying to build a business, I wouldn't be like, oh, I'm not going to. Sometimes people say that. I'm not going to do it. And I'm like, okay, well, 
what are you going to do then? Yeah. Like, you know, okay, fine. So cool. If you've got a lot of money to spend on PR, are you going to go around trade shows? This is a visibility channel. So I wouldn't advise opting out of it. And then when you know what you're dealing with, you can take a decision accordingly. You can be like, okay, I understand then. It's going to cost me twice as much as I've got in my budget to do the do the content that we need. And that's okay. That could be a thing. Or you can say, okay, I understand. I'm never going to be able to do the content we need based on the budget I've got here. So I have to look for another solution. So essentially, I mean, knowledge is power. That's how the old saying goes, isn't it? Yeah. And that's really what this is about, but very detailed because there's global forces at play. There's tech giant forces at play and there are human forces at play from the point of view of output. And there's also economic factors at play from the point of view of the cost of living crisis. So when we are looking at our creative teams and complaining about Janet, whoever is, <laughs> you know, not uploading videos quick enough. Janet's not really the issue here. And that's what I wanted people to understand because I've been as guilty as everyone of of thinking that one individual's the issue. Yeah. And I guess the final thing I'd want to ask you then is like, what's your message for brands and solopreneurs who might be feeling, you know, burnt out by by what's going on? And do you have like any practical tips for managing this? I'm I'm not surprised if people are feeling burnt out by the demands of say creative production. I think I think that's you know a reasonable outcome for somebody. So first of all, don't give yourself too much of a hard yeah. time. The reason you're burnt out is because the channel demands have massively increased and how are you meant to do it, particularly if you're only one person? I think you have to, the best way to do content if you are one person on a budget is to, and I haven't mastered this yet, but I am determined to master it and I'm mastering it. Like I'd say I'm now 60% of the way there and it has been deeply uncomfortable, is to master the art of picking up your phone and just recording it because that is the most efficient and low cost way to reach the volume of output required without paying for it. So yeah. that is my number one tip for these solopreneur, small business owners. You have to master that yourself. You need to commit to it and it's going to be uncomfortable. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and yeah, and let go of that need for perfection. Oh, we've touched on that already, haven't we? But it doesn't have to be perfect. Just get it out there. Exactly. Amazing. And let go of the need to control your looks. I mean, particularly for the women, I had a very high <laughs> need to control my looks. Um, and, you know, letting go of that has not been easy. Let go, of a need, let, let go of a lot of things. Let go of a need to kind of sound a certain way or always deliver a certain message or, or you know, have hooks or be an overnight TikTok star. It's, you know, it, you really do just have to go through the process. And it's a relatively long process. I would say since we started, you know, the feed that's, well, we've had elements of virality on each feed, but the feed that now is going more viral is BizKids. Um, and I mean, I, we've done 300 videos on the BizKids TikTok. That's not, that's not insignificant, you know, no. so that gives the people an idea, 300, of which quite a few have gone viral. Um but that still hasn't resulted in the whole feed going viral until this point. So you can go back through the feed. You'll see we've had lots of videos where they get like 55,000 views or whatever. But we still hadn't and we still probably haven't. It's still a work in process. It's that honing your message, understanding, bringing more content, doing the right level of variety. Mm -hmm. So be prepared. It's not an overnight thing. It's going to take time. But if you believe that the algorithms have changed and for the next three years, TikTok is a dominant force. And I'm telling you it is. So if you don't believe it, yeah. you need to reconsider that belief then you're going to have to. The next question is going to be, right, I accept that that's the case. Now, how do I master these algorithms? Mm -hmm. Amazing. Thank you. So tell us how we can um, find out more about this, 
about your white paper. Sorry for dumbing it down to I being know, white paper and content I'm monsters. Like, <laughs> email list. So either go to yes. NatashaCourtneySmith.com or BoltDigital.media and sign up to our weekly emails because we'll be. So we've got our conference coming up first, and then we'll be moving on to promotion of the white paper and promotion of Biz Kids. So make sure you're on my email list or, or follow me on LinkedIn and mm-hmm. sign up to the news, the LinkedIn newsletter. And then you'll see up all updates, including the release of the LUP white paper. Brilliant. Thank you. I will put your newsletter link sign up in the show notes, but it's good to um, just good for you to say it out loud as well. Um, Natasha, thank you so much for coming to talk to me. Thank you for the million dollar blog. Um, and all I of know. The, I mean, I can't wait to hear from <laughs> Oh, honestly, it was just totally changed my life. So thank you, because you've kind of, that is what made all of this happen. And I know that reading the book and say, when I, I remember like trying to work WordPress and you know what it's like when you just write and send off your stories on email, like you'll remember like the first, you know, first learning to do anything with computers. It was like, oh my gosh, it's so hard. But yeah, it really, really helps. So thank you. So oh, well, also, well done, Rachel, because I know for a lot of us in, in journalism, you know, the industry, Rachel, I came from did really change. And, yeah. you know, a lot of us, I mean, I, I was lucky that I sold the business that I had in journalism. But I think all of us are wondering, like, okay, this isn't necessarily going to be the career for life. And a lot of us have pivoted into different industries. So well done, Rachel, you've done brilliantly. And it's so Thank amazing. You. You've got this incredible community of people that you're helping and listening to your podcast. Oh, thank you. I feel very fortunate. So yeah, thanks so much. So tell us where we can find out more about you and yeah, what social media platforms to find you on. Okay, well, we are going TikTok first because we're determined to master these algorithms. So I'm on TikTok as Tash Courtney Smith. Biz Kids is on TikTok as Biz Kids. And that is if you have a kid or you know a kid who wants to have their very first experience of uh, making money and learning things they don't le- learn about in school, i.e. business, financial literacy and entrepreneurship. And then our Notting Hill brands are on TikTok as the Notting Hill company. You'll also find us across all the other social channels, but most of the content is made for TikTok first. And those are the ones that we're just really experimenting with in real time to really drive, um, really, really see what can be achieved on those via those channels. Brilliant. Thank you so much for sharing those with us and for coming on the podcast. It's just been amazing. Thank you. Oh, well, thank you so much, Rachel. Hey, so I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Natasha and I would love to know your thoughts and your takeaways. My biggest takeaway was that I really do need to stop caring about what pe- what people think and just chuck myself into that cauldron of content and hope that I can find my way to the top. So do go and connect with Tash and let her know your thoughts on it too. You'll find all of the links to find out more about her newsletter, find her on social media in the show notes of this episode. If you're listening on an app, then just swipe up and then you will find all of those links there. Next week, I'm back with a solo episode of the podcast. It's going to be about content. So do look out for it in your inbox on Tuesday morning. Big thanks to Natasha for coming on the show as well. It's been so, so good to chat with her. And finally, if you're looking for inspiration for your Christmas content as well, and you're listening to this podcast as it goes out on the 14th of November, 2023, I have something for you. It's my pet business content cracked guide, and it will give you everything that you need to plan out the rest of November and all of December, get your Christmas campaign sorted so you can have a rest and relax and enjoy the holidays, knowing that you've made the sales that you want to and have set yourself up for 2024. If you want to go and grab that, head to rachelspencer.co.uk forward slash Christmas hyphen content hyphen cracked to find out more. And I will see you next week with another episode of the podcast. <laughs>